88.1 Eugene. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to KWVA Storytime on 88.1 FM. I'm Tess. I'm Ben. I'm Amy. I'm Ryan. And I'm David. Every Thursday, we take you on a half-hour ride from 7.30 to 8 with a collection of stories, interviews, discussion, and everything in between. Hello, I'm Amy Brenneman. Tonight on Storytime, we have Ryan's story about religious students on campus. Then, Sophia has two stories, one about musician Damon Davis, the other about Cinco de Mayo. And lastly, for new content, we have David's The Science Minute. We'll finish up the show with two stories from last term, so stay tuned. Religion. It's a hot topic of debate and controversy, and it has been for a long time. But how are college students thinking about religion? Don't get me wrong, religion still exists on college campuses, and college students aren't abandoning religion in droves either. But according to a 2010 survey in a National Institute of Health Science journal, college students report attending fewer and fewer religious services as time goes on. According to the same study, college students still rank their religious beliefs as just as important as when they first arrived, though. The Good Fight is a college ministry at the University of Oregon, and it's part of University Fellowship Church, UFC for short. UFC was strategically planted in South Eugene to bring biblical Christianity to college campuses, according to its website. Before Mass, there's dozens of people congregating in the hall outside of the lecture hall. They're chatting, laughing, and just generally having a good time. The mass is held in this big lecture hall in Prince Lucy and Campbell Hall, and there are tiers of seats of about a hundred in total. The walls are a light green color, and when the pastor speaks into the microphone, the sound bounces off the walls, making his voice even louder than the microphone was doing already. It's Big Tuesday, the Good Fight's major recruiting event of the term. This term, the big question is, if God exists, why does he allow suffering? While the pastor is speaking, passages from the Bible are projected onto the screen behind him. People are taking notes in their notebooks. Some even have their own leather-bound Bibles with them. Others are reading along with the speaker using an app on their phones. Last term for Big Tuesday, the Good Fight did a panel on race in the gospel. These events are usually about half an hour. Sean Duncan is a former UO student, and he began attending the Good Fight when he was a senior in high school. Why? Because of the free food. I got invited to it, and I heard there was going to be pizza. So I came to it, and have been coming ever since, and now it's been six years. Now, Duncan works for UFC, but he used to not even be a Christian. So what happened? So after he was first invited, he and his friends had to drive an hour and a half from his hometown to get to the good fight. But Duncan was still hesitant at first. He'd never heard the Bible before because his parents never really talked about it or any other religions while he was growing up. After hearing it for the first time, he was hooked. So he came back. It just started a, a huge explosion of, of a pattern in my life where uh, I realized that I needed to give my life to Christ as my Lord and Savior, that there was no other way for uh, for me to find uh, peace or security or comfort or joy. Like that was the ultimate fulfillment that I was seeking for. And he came back again and again and again and again. It helped that he had suddenly a lot more free time on his hands than he did before. Duncan originally wanted to go to university to play football, but after he blew out his knee, he was left with all of this free time. So what did he do with all that free time? 
he kept attending Mass and Eugene. Meanwhile, he tried out track and field instead of football and wrestling. He got pretty good at pole vaulting and was offered a spot on the team at Lane Community College. After attending Lane Community College for two years, he began studying religion at the University of Oregon. So it was kind of like everything clicked into gear. I was like, yeah, I would love to uh, do track because it doesn't hurt my body like football was. I love Eugene. There's the good fight up there. So everything kind of just got put into motion. And I was like, yes, I'm going to go up to Eugene and I'm going to run track. Meanwhile, he tried out track and field instead of football and wrestling. He got pretty good at pole vaulting and was offered a spot on the team at Lane Community College. After attending Lane Community College for two years, he began studying religion at the University of Oregon. They never talked about religion, neither good nor bad, in my house growing up. So I, I, I didn't really have a default as far as growing up. But growing up, I was very skeptical about people who were religious and how they could believe in a, in a higher power or a God that's in charge of everything. I was skeptical growing up. So the idea of going to a church event, I was very hesitant because I just didn't, I wasn't familiar with what I was about to step into. And unfamiliarity is uncomfortable. And now, he would never go back. This story featured the song, Tired Traveler on the Way to Home by Andrew Codvin. Slight edits were made. Damon Davis is a multimedia American artist, musician, and filmmaker based in St. Louis, Missouri. His 2014 public art installation, All Hands on Deck, has been collected in the National Museum of African American History and Culture. He is also the co-director of Who Streets, a documentary on the Ferguson unrest following police officer Darren Wilson's fatal shooting of Michael Brown. The film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2017. Last week, Damon Davis came to campus and talked about the movement for black lives, his upcoming projects, and how he uses art as a form of activism. At the end of the event, I was able to interview a conversation regarding some of their thoughts about what Davis had to say. This is one of the few talks that I've been to that's been like bold white people out here. I feel like, I don't know if it's just because of like where like we are, I feel like a lot of even talks that are discussing like racial issues are, still tend to be um, appealing to white audiences and when you're in the state of Oregon, which is a really white place, you know, it's very easy to do that and that's something that I find myself doing um, when I'm talking to the white people in my life is appealing to them so that way I'm not freaking them out too much. They can sort of like understand what their microaggressions are and that gets exhausting after a certain amount of time. So it was nice to be in a space where there wasn't this sort of editing for ears who might not want to be called out. It was a very refreshing thing to, to be in. And it's a good reminder for me that I don't constantly have to be expending my emotional labor from a person-to-person -person basis on how other people can treat other people like human beings. I really resonated with his um, ideas as an artist and how he like chose uses his identity to get his message across. Because a lot of times like throughout history, people oppress the free-minded people like the artists and the writers and he doesn't care and he's going to use his like identity and his story for good and especially like what you were saying like he just called out like that white guy that started talking over the black guy it was like no I'm talking to the black guy and the guy kept talking um, and I thought that was way so important especially for like white people to see that like literally see like a white guy talking over black people just like how it is day to day 
But another thing is like with these talks is like a lot of times why people show up and they come here and they listen and they leave it and don't do shit. I think a lot of like, at least my opinion is like, I think white people need to educate other white people and it's not up to people of color to educate white people. Like I feel it's white people's jobs to educate white people. Just like men, it's men's jobs to educate other men, so. I definitely think that every single person needs to understand their own privilege and use that privilege in whatever means they can, whether that's gendered privilege or racial privilege or class privilege. Um, wherever you're coming from, you need to, if you can understand um, how what you were sort of born into or handed um, gives you an advantage over other people, you need to turn that back around and give that back and help people who need it. And I think that if everyone sort of understood the things that they're given, it doesn't mean that they they um, deserve those things more than other people. All that it means is they need to take those things that they've been given and use it to help other people the best way that they can. Honestly, the same. Like, I feel like people need to check their privilege, like whether we're talking about race, sexual orientation, or gender, or any of the other isms, like people just need to check their privilege and use it for good. And I think it comes down to that in and of itself. Like, you, you couldn't have said it better. Hola y bienvenidos. Me llamo Sofía and I spent my Cinco de Mayo not only celebrating my mom's birthday but asking some random people on the street who identified as Latinx their thoughts about Cinco de Mayo and how they celebrated. What is Cinco de Mayo? Cinco de Mayo is a... it's not celebrated in Mexico except for the state of Puebla and in the U.S. it is celebrated by drinking and by very cheap margaritas and tequila shots but Cinco de Mayo is actually the historical the historical context is that um, so the Mexican army was fighting the French and they didn't think they're gonna win but they won in the city of Puebla so like that's the whole thing it's just like a victory of a battle well this is how I feel about it beep you white people literally every day other than today you're like Screw Mexicans! They're taking they're taking our jobs. Build a wall, build a wall. Well, I can all I need can say is beep you, white people. Uh, the way I celebrate Cinco de Mayo is by not celebrating it. Uh, growing up, we've never really um, celebrated that um, the day, and it was never really a whole big deal type of thing. Maybe in school, I can't remember, they would bring it up, but, um, yeah. We've never really done anything for it, and seeing other people, especially, like, white people, dressing up in sombreros and wearing stuff like that, it's just kind of a little frustrating, because I'm Mexican, I've never celebrated Cinco de Mayo. Like, you can go out, drink, and have fun, whatever. But once you start um, appropriating the culture, that's when there's a line. How I celebrate it. When I was little, I asked my parents, why don't we celebrate Cinco de Mayo? We should go get tacos. I'm Mexican. We make tacos all the time. And they're like, Priseida, you don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo. It's just there. And I was like, okay. But now as a college student, how I celebrate it. 
I just get cheap tequila shots because tequila is my, my drink. But that's about it. Back in Eastern Oregon, there used to be a little block party at this one street in front of this uh, Mexican grocery store. And a couple food trucks, a couple taco trucks would come by. And we would just be there. It was nice and chill. Just good company, great food. Oh, great, great food. I remember that was the one day of the year I would eat a ton, a ton of elote. Oh, oh, it sounds so good. But yeah, that's just, that's how I know Cinco de Mayo. Just good community, great food, and beep you white people. Hello and welcome to Storytime. You are listening to David Hugel and Amy Brenneman. And welcome to the Science Minute. And today we're going to be talking about sunburns. What do you know about sunburns, Amy? I know that it's a burn you get from the sun. Did you know that when you're getting a sunburn, your skin isn't actually being burned? What? You see, the ultraviolet rays from the sun penetrate your skin with their little ultravioletness. They get into your cells and scramble the DNA. And do you know what happens when you get scrambled DNA? What? Cancer. So your cells don't want that. So what they do to protect you is they undergo type 1 cell death, or apoptosis, or they kill themselves. Oh my god. In conclusion, sunscreen is good. Ding! Hi, this is Morgan Freeman. Has anyone ever said you are the picture of health? You look healthy and you feel fine, but that may not be the full picture. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cancer killer of men and women over 50. Doesn't always cause symptoms, but it can be prevented. Get screened. Make sure you are the picture of health. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, and thank you for listening to Storytime. I'm Amy Brenneman. Last week, I got the opportunity to sit down with Jessie Clare, a tarot card reader and a student here at the University of Oregon who plans on starting her own coven. Jessie shared with me some of her beliefs and what starting a coven means to her. So a coven is a sort of gathering of people within the community. Specifically, it revolves around sort of a witchcraft, spirituality kind of idea. There's lots of different types of covens that you can be in. Um, So there's some covens that focus more on paganism and some covens that focus more on um, just like general spirituality or meditation. And um, so the coven, coven that I am, I guess, founding, you could say, is more along the lines of like, healing and self-discovery and a lot of kind of inner interpretation of things. So that's what my coven is kind of about. I just recently got into tarot cards within the last six months or so, like just got really, really into it. And I started talking with some of my friends and I realized that they also were really into tarot cards or maybe into, you know, different types of spirituality. I have one friend that's into paganism. And I started to share my thoughts of tarot cards with people and I would give readings to people and people were really, really into it. Um, And I just kind of discovered that that's something that was kind of lacking within my friend group was that kind of 
deeper connection on a more spiritual level. And so I just decided that, hey, maybe a coven would be a really cool idea to get us all together and get us all talking about this kind of stuff. There are some covens that live together, but because we're college students and we all kind of live all over the place, it's a lot easier to um, kind of work together if we just do, do it once a month or have a group chat somewhere and stuff like that. I think a lot of it is just kind of getting to know each other in a way that fosters our own healing. So that's what um, covens are really all about is just kind of promoting each other's healings. And so what I really am really looking for to be a goal of my coven is just that we're able to kind of understand each other on that spiritual level, share our experiences, share our interpretations of tarot cards, of crystals, of all that kind of stuff, and, you know, share knowledge and just really get to know each other on a, on a spiritual level. Tarot cards have been around for centuries, with the first recorded instance of their existence being in about 1440. The cards are made up of 78 cards and divided into major and minor arcana. The minor arcana consists of four suits, cups, swords, pentacles, and wands, while the major arcana consists of 22 symbolic cards that reference concepts and ideals. Used for divination and developing insight, tarot can mean different things to different people, and Jessie talked with me about what it means to her. I've always kind of been fascinated by tarot cards. You know, I've had my tarot cards read before. I actually have a tarot card tattoo also um, that I got two years ago. But I wasn't, I was never really someone that did tarot. And then I just, I went through a hard, a hard spot in my life. And I kind of reached into that spiritual side of myself. And I realized like tarot might be able to help me kind of overcome this kind of stuff. And I discovered that it totally did. It totally did. And so just the, just the fact that it was so healing to me is really what got me into it. And just the ability to kind of look within myself and get a better understanding of who I am. That's really why I started getting really, really into it. My tattoo is um, of the specific tarot card from what's called the Major Arcana, and it's called the High Priestess. So the High Priestess is a symbol of intuition, a symbol of higher knowledge about yourself. Um, so I'm really, if you can't tell, I'm really into knowing about myself. And so that's why I got that tattoo, just because it kind of symbolized that um, desire to look within for answers. I think I have multiple different kind of parts of me that are driven towards. So I'm, I'm a psychology major, and so I'm really into science and hard facts and all that kind of stuff. And tarot cards have really given me this ability to see things differently and kind of approach things and, you know, outside of the facts, quote unquote. Um, so I think that that's a lot of the reason that got me really into tarot cards, because I was so used to my whole life, you know, doing the scientific method and all that kind of stuff. And I think tarot cards just gave me a way to identify myself that's outside of all these facts and all this academic world. Tarot takes a long time to master. The cards all have multiple meanings that must be memorized and they can differ depending on whether they are reversed. Readings also depend a lot on intuition, which perhaps takes even more time to practice. Jessie shared with me how she likes to study her tarot cards. I started with reading a book about it because whenever I first got them I didn't know how to read them. I knew kind of generally how it worked but I wasn't totally sure how I would be going about doing it. Um, so I started by reading just like a very basic level introduction book about tarot cards and then I discovered, this is kind of random, but I discovered this community of um, witches on Pinterest which is an odd place to find that. So yeah, so I discovered a lot of 
kind of pre-made spreads, tarot spreads, and a lot of different ways to interpret the cards. And I started using that as a reference. So whenever I would do my readings, I would lay out my spread and I would just go card by card and say, you know, flip through my book and flip through the pages online and just say, what does this mean? And I just most recently started writing out all of the readings that I do for myself so I can kind of get a better understanding of each of the individual cards and kind of what they look like. But it is, it totally is a learning process. It takes a lot of time and I'm still like six months later, it's still very difficult for me and I have a reference sheet that I have to use and, but it's, it continues to get more and more interesting as I go. Luckily, Jessie found that many of her friends shared the same interests as her and they are working together to create the coven. One of them, my friend Carla, she, um, I grew up with her. I went to middle school and high school with her. And we've always kind of had that spiritual kind of connection. Like she, her first tattoo was a little moon on her wrist and it just kind of signified that um, spirituality. And so I've kind of always associated her with that kind of like Wiccan leaning kind of ideologies. Um, but I, I actually just discovered that she also has her own tarot deck and she does her own tarot readings. So it was really cool. I was like, I never knew that. The 10 years I've known you and you're reading tarot. My gosh. So she's actually the one that I reached out to and I was like, let's do this. Let's start this coven. Um, and then my other friends, I think I got them all into it actually, because they saw me doing readings and they enjoyed the readings that I would do for them. And so they all were like, I'm in, let's do it. <laughs> Recent generations have seen an increasing popularity of non-traditional spiritual practices. In a 2015 Guardian article, the writer wrote that witchcraft and the embrace of quote-unquote magical practices like reading tarot cards has recently experienced a resurgence of sorts among young, creative, politically engaged women. According to the Pew Research Center, in 2014, 29% of Wiccans and Pagans were Generation Xers and 46% were Millennials. Jessie described in her own words of why many younger people are attracted to these practices. I think that this generation is a lot more um, intuitive and has this desire to, to heal and to be spiritual and to discover themselves. And I think that this like age-old practice of tarot cards and you know paganism and Wiccan tendencies, I think it all gives people in our generation like the opportunity to to discover themselves in a way that they haven't been able to do before. Because we go through a lot of stuff. There's been a lot of really heavy things that, has, that have happened for this generation. And I think tarot cards and, um, you know, that kind of spirituality is just giving people the opportunity to understand it and to cope with a lot of things. I think it's a coping mechanism for sure. And I am seeing a big, big um, rise in the trend of, you know, using tarot cards and all that kind of stuff. Of course, tarot is not without its naysayers. Some people believe the devil is involved in the craft and are wary of other similarly non-mainstream practices. I asked Jessie what she would say to someone who thought this and how tarot can be used to help people. I see where they're coming from because I think it's scary and I think just the idea of like magic sometimes can feel really taboo to people, um, especially in Western society. It's, it's just a big taboo. And... I mean, I would just say the, the same thing that I'm saying to my mom, you know, it, it's helping me heal. It's helping me discover things about myself. You know, I'm not casting spells on people. I'm not trying to do anything evil. I'm not hurting anyone. Um, if anything, I'm, I'm helping people. And so I would just say that, you know, research it. Try and, you know, understand where it comes from and understand why people are doing it. I had a friend um, 
we'll call her Connie. We'll call her Connie. Um, so I, my friend Connie had a boyfriend that she's been on and off with for, gosh, like three or four years. You know, they go back and forth, and sometimes he's nice to her, and sometimes he's not. And she is always just so conflicted about it. And she was one of the people that I've, um, I do her readings a lot lately just because because I've been getting into it. It's kind of, you know, she's there and she's also my roommate. So it's kind of, it works, it works out well. So I did a reading on um, what she should do about this person in her life. And it was probably like an hour long reading and we just sat there and we looked at the cards and the cards were saying, you need to get out of this relationship. And she did it. She did it, and after a series of, like, a couple readings, she kind of gathered the strength to tell him that she didn't want to be with him anymore. Um, And she found this, like, immense strength within her own life, and it was just so, it was such a plausible kind of thing to see, and you could really tell that a change had happened because of the tarot cards, so it was really cool. At the end of our interview, Jessie did a tarot card reading for me. I asked her what some of the most popular questions she got when doing readings, and she said that, being college students, a lot of people want to know about their future careers, so I asked about mine. Jessie's reading made me feel very reassured in the path I'm taking because, according to the cards, I'm heading in the right direction. Hello and welcome to David After Dark. I'm David, and every week I'll be taking to the streets of Eugene, asking anyone I can about a particular topic. This week, we're tackling what is the best part about the University of Oregon, and what is the worst part. So let's jump right in. What's the worst part about the University of Oregon? I gotta say, like, the crippling sadness involved with, like, being, like, a person that's, like, used as an advertising instrument for Nike, honestly. Follow-up, what's the best part about the University of Oregon? Volleyball. What is the best part about the University of Oregon? The best part about the University of Oregon is obviously the, the ability to match up with other people, bro. What kind of people? I mean, like, anybody. Like, I don't care if you spend your whole life naked or you spend your whole life um, clothed. You'll find somebody you enjoy here at the University of Oregon. Wait, and what's the worst part about the University of Oregon? If there's a bad part of the University of Oregon, I don't want to know. What's the best part about the University of Oregon? So some days, I put on a nice, nice warm jacket, and then I just, I cross that little... You know that everyone knows that little fieldy thing where you look over at Lilith and you see that big old O. Like if you're wearing a nice warm jacket and you think about like a gift that you got when you were a child, while you cross that lawn and look at that O, all of a sudden it all like the planets align and you just take a look into exactly what reality should be, you know? Like, ideal world plays out before your mind. That's the hack. That's the cheat code that I'm telling you, so try it out. UO, class of 2019, motherfucker. yeah. Absolutely. What? (laughs) What's the... (laughs) What's the worst part about the University of Oregon? 
Well, if you try the exact same tactic, but you aren't wearing a nice warm jacket, <laughs> lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of bad things just start happening to you all day long. Like you'll go to your class and get scolded intensely, like, and like, then you'll go home and like your bed will be full of needles and you're just, <laughs> just all sorts of horrendous things start to happen. So don't do it. Wear that jacket, my friends. Absolute words of wisdom. Anywho, this has been David After Dark. Thanks for tuning in and stay frosty. Thank you for listening to KWVA Eugene and have a good night.